Hey folks, this is Trust in the Process podcast uh, by myself, Travis Fritz, about brewing, brewery, from the perspective of brewery owners, brewers. Um, it's a podcast about the industry, talking about challenges and successes that uh, the folks we have on uh, may have had in their career. And we try and keep it relatively light and interesting, and that usually works. Um, today on the podcast, I have Edwin Collazo, Collazo. Uh, who is uh, just informed me of the correct pronunciation of his name, so I'm giving it a rip. So uh, City Built is a well-known brewery in Grand Rapids. Um, a pub primarily, is that correct? But you do do some releases from what I understand. So we do have a microbrewer's license so we can distribute. Okay. Uh, we went from distributing about half of our beer in 2019 to distributing less than 5% in 2020. Before the pandemic, we had made some very uh, deliberate and in, intentional moves to change how we packaged our beer. Uh, we started working with some different artists. And so our the, the change in uh, sales in terms of off-property or whatever and then on-site um, is significant. And so even though we had a, a significant loss in, in revenue in 2020, man, having it all come out of the tap room really changed the you know the percentages yeah at the end of, of course the yeah a loss loss in overall revenue but maybe even an increase in margin is fantastic right it was it was the first time we made money is in 2020 <laughs> <so>. <laughs> yeah 12 i mean when you've been just bleeding money not bleeding yeah. money feels like an absolute win 100 percent. you gotta talk to my partners then <laughs> <laughs> i will i've said the same thing to my partner for a long long time Right. Um, you know, I mean, and it's a weird, right? The last couple of years have been weird. Everybody knows that. That's not a secret, man. And to go kind of the other way from, you know, the direction that a lot of breweries headed in, you talked about Rake and his, his brewery, um, yeah. you know, Homeboy opened up right before the pandemic, um, or more or less, yeah. and went from, you know, decent pub business that was building and kind of a reputation in town that was building to, uh, like everybody, zero pub business and uh, just the distribution of his product generally, which uh, he felt kind of the opposite of the benefit that you felt from going the other way, right? Oh, uh, we were fortunate. Like, yeah. I mean, we had, we had been open uh, for almost three years when that started we already had a lot of momentum serving what I would suggest was subpar beer. Uh, it was in a marginal, we were marginal, right? Sometimes we get, we hit it. Sometimes we did it. And so now I would, I would argue we're not marginal. We make really good beer. We make beer that people are excited about. And so during that shutdown, we had enough of a reputation where people were coming in and just saying like, Hey, I'm coming every day. Like there's a guy that I haven't seen, since we've been open fully but during the pandemic i saw that dude every day really like he he and he ordered the same thing every day huh. he, he got two crawlers a thing of tacos and some chips and salsa I, when i saw the order i always knew it was him wow and so so we had that type of experience and so like we would basically went we luckily had a candy line so we went from uh distributing keg distribution whatever around the state uh with m4's help and then self-distro in kent, in kent county to we would sell an entire batch of beer and we're not that kind, like no one gets in line for our beer but we'd sell a whole batch in a, in a week 
Yeah. And so we're like, and, and we only had four fermenters. And so it started to get problematic. Yeah. Especially this past summer when we were open, open and people were very excited to be at a venue drinking beer or whatever. And then we also added, uh, we did live shows that were free in the park across the street from our brewery. And so I think we have 15 beers on right now. And a, a lot of that is, a lot of that is because we barrel aged a bunch of beer and all those variants came out. <laughs> we all, we also learned, Hey, we got this Porter. Let's split this batch, put coffee and coconut in this one and keep this one, you know, just four ingredient Porter. It broadened, you know, your choice. And so, you know, that's the only reason we have 15, but this summer, man, there would be Fridays where I'm like, man, we have 44 kegs total. How are we going to get through the weekend? And like, in the, you know, Monday would come along, we'd have like 28 and we're like, all right, there's three beers ready this week. Yep. Let's, let's package. And we, you know, so we used to package like 80 cases of beer. We have a 10 barrel system. So 80 cases of beer, leave some for draft. And then we're like, dude, we have no draft. And then we have all these cans. Are we really going to crack cans in the tap room? Which we would. We do sometimes. So, yeah, exactly. And so then, so then we went. All right. Well, let's do sixty cases. Now we we do twenty to twenty five cases of whatever it is, and the rest just really just goes out of the taps. You know, you said four fermenters. My ear ears perked up right now because I know what that is. Right, whenever you're Ooh. starting to cut up, um, right that that feeling is like, yeah. oh shit, man, I got to spend more money now for me, right? Yeah. Um, it is, this is, this is going to run into me spending money, right. Which is good. Um, but for me, at least there's always, you know, different stages in my career when these kind of things have happened. Um, there's that fear, I think is a good, maybe a good way to talk about it that you're like, well, but is this real? Right. Like, is this going to last? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. I'm waiting for the door to close. <laughs> right. You're always waiting. Dude, I'm now still waiting for the next shoe to drop. Um, yeah. always. And so that feeling of like, dude, here's what's going to happen, right? I'm going to spend 12 grand, whatever on another fermenter, let's say. Um, and I'm going to get it in here and I'm going to spend whatever money it takes to get it up and running more than you're going to, you know, put it into service. And I'm going to swiftly realize that four fermenters was absolutely perfect. Right. We grew <laughs> as much as we're going to grow. And I was stuck with this payment now. And, uh, you know, luckily that hasn't happened for me. I'm pretty sure it wouldn't happen for you, but you talk a little bit about if you, that resonates with you at all. A hundred percent. So, you know, our, our start was pretty tumultuous city builts was. And so mm -hmm. we talked about 2020 being the first year we made money. The first two years we had substantial losses because we just had a hard start and that's, that's its own story, um, that I won't get into cause I legally can't. <laughs> so that said my my uh investors my partners their experience is not great they, like they just keep thinking uh like, when's the next bad thing gonna happen yeah. <laughs> and and, yeah. and so when i start to add you know i didn't so we have new tanks coming on uh april 4th sweet so we're we're, we're going from four 10 barrel firms and a 20 barrel bright to uh we're adding uh, two 20 barrel lager tanks, two 20 barrel uh, uni tanks, and then another 20 barrel bright. Sweet. Wow. And we still, and I think we still have room for an, at least one more uni tank. And so that said, we really want to do, we really want to focus on lagers. We do quick lagers right now, but we would like to do some traditional lagers. But anyways, that said, I'm thinking, was that the right thing? 
like even as I said, I was like, should I got one lager tank and two uni, three unis instead of two? But we're adding two hundred and fifty percent capacity. Right. My my only saving uh, in my mind, how I talk myself down. We didn't take really any debt, so we traded that. So we have some Sweet. B shares. I had the cash to actually buy the the tanks because of some programs that existed during COVID. Sweet. We you know we got PPP money. We never spent it, and right. so at the end, and we got a lot. Right. And so, at the end of the at the end of the year, when we realized, man, there's a there's a problem, we started to do research on what it meant to grow. How and where could we grow? Uh, it turns out we could grow in our current space, which is good. But now we're there's another problem that's going to be in about a year and a half, right? When we hit the capacity, and we can't even grow where we're at. So it means we got to build something. Which that's actually the scariest part about what yep. I'm doing right now is I think that I could probably get us capacity in a year. But I'm throttling it because yep. who's going to support me in a year? Yep. But if I, if I do it in a year and a half, then I can write a story to a bank. Right. And hopefully get something like we don't have any SBA money. We don't like we never went through any special programs. So we we really have some opportunity, I think. Uh, and so I'm just trying to, to paint a picture for bankers right now so that I look like a good idea, you know, in a year and a half. Uh, yeah, Maybe that's like talk about painting a picture right that's like painting the golden gate bridge dude there's never a time when that stops being right a primary concern right like what if i do this what are the guys that i'm gonna i'm about to ask five million dollars for i'm gonna say about it right or think about it mm-hmm. um and really that, I, I think that that tension that friction between what you want to do and those thoughts maybe it's like making lager you know what i mean like if you're making a lager, you're putting yourself into a box, right? It has to be something specific in order to be that. There's room inside that box to be a lot of things, but if it's not a few fundamental and important things, cold fermented, you know, yeah. lager yeast, then it's not lager, right? Correct. And that box, I, you know, at this 20 years into my career as a brewer, um, <clears throat> I like that, right? It's it's almost like uh, borrowing inspiration, right? Because you can say, all right, well, it's not, you know, what is possible to do with fermentation of grain, right? It's mm-hmm. what's possible to do inside this box. And it kind of organizes your thoughts when you're trying to come up with something, right? Yeah. Likewise, um, having that specter of the bank over your shoulder, I think, is is something that can do that, too, where you're like, you know, the conversation with yourself, for me, at least, becomes, okay, what can I get away with? Right. <laughs> um, yes. And, uh, you know, the answer is you can get away with whatever the fuck you want as long as you're making money. Right. Yep. Um, so how to do that becomes the question. And if that is the question, um, then what precipitated your turn into? Well, first of all, tell me a little bit about, um, you know, how long you've been in the industry. I know people can find this on your website, but just briefly, yeah. uh, how long you've been in the industry? Um, you know, what, uh, not what inspired you to become a brewer or come into the brewing industry. Um, but what kind of beers as a drinker, um, sort of inspired you to come in? Yeah. Maybe talk a little bit about, uh, what you guys were making at first and the relationship with that brewer or brewers that can remain unnamed if you, if you wish, and then what you're moving into. Yeah. So I, I have a degree in education and I have another degree in child development. I taught, I taught for eight years, uh, three years of those eight were in a prison day one and 
in in prison was a long walk out of teaching because I'm a relationship guy and it's illegal to build relationships with prisoners. So I wasn't teaching anybody. I was just yeah. a facilitator. I had lots of days off, good insurance. And so I quit to, to do uh, a job with a manufacturing company that was pretty short lived, but it was a really good business lesson. I jumped out of a very secure situation into a dying business because we were going through uh, in 2007. So they weren't, I'm sure over on your side of the state, you saw all the housing developments uh, with for sale signs on top of for sale signs on top of for sale signs. No one was building anything. And so my business, my job went away. Right. So I became a financial advisor for Northwestern Mutual in, in 2007. And then I had a practice for seven years. During the whole seven years, I was homebrewing. Uh, my neighbor, who was eventually my partner, taught me how to homebrew. Uh, City Built was never my idea. City Built was his idea. He had a partner before me. That partner decided to kind of move on, and he, he actually left the state, um, leaving uh, my uh, partner, Dave, with no money and, and really no business. And so I was at Northwestern trying to f make a transition, and I, I didn't want to transition back into teaching. Uh, I thought about teaching at a college level. Um, none of that was exciting or appealing. And then in my in my practice, I had like a coach, and so my coach made me write this this vision statement. And essentially, my vision statement says, "Man, you're super mediocre. Stop being mediocre. You're built to be not mediocre." <laughs> and when you're not mediocre, the people around you benefit. But, particularly your kids, and I want to leave a legacy for my kids. 100%. And so then I was like, well, I'm, I did, so I applied that to my business. I never made more money. Like, but I also didn't see my kids. And I was like, right. well, that's stupid. Like, the, the thing that drives my vision statement is the thing that I left. And so while I experienced success and all my peers thought I was awesome, for a moment, uh, it wasn't necessarily in my, it, it didn't, I wasn't, uh, passionate about it and so uh talked to dave dave needed someone who could raise money that was what i did for seven years is share an idea and ask for people to write a check and put it in my hand so um city built people ask if i was always uh was it always my dream to be a brewer or, uh, to own a brewery the answer is not i really just needed a i needed a job i needed something i was excited about I did not like the culture at Northwestern Mutual or in general in a financial firm. Yeah, dude. Uh, it's kind of a kind of a, like a big swinging dick type of job. Soul and, sucker. And so in that, um, my thought was that City Built could represent something in our city and that we could treat the people that work for us in, in a way that would then maybe encourage them to love on the people who come into our space which isn't always this is, you know, people who look like me in West Michigan sometimes don't get loved on when they go into places. And so our thought was, Hey, let's be a space where, you know, everybody can come. And so one of our taglines is where cultures collide. And I think when you walk into our space, that's what you see. And so that's, that was, uh, that was kind of the, the impetus behind city bill, you know, a, I needed a job B I had a skill set that would help, my partner Dave get to his goal, um, 
in the end, there is a there's a he's still an owner. Davis. He doesn't work at City Boat anymore. He was our he was our brewer, uh, but he's still an owner. Uh, just that uh, I just I'm so afraid because of my vision statement of being marginal and mediocre, and so we would go into these dumb you know like seven months in like an IPA challenge, and we submitted a brew, and I was like, dude, are you you're not even trying to win, right? <laughs> Right, and he's like, "Well, we're not. We don't have to win everything." I was like, "No, we have. Yes, like, we could. Yeah, we have to win everything. Yeah, that should be like every time, best foot forward. So we should want to. Yeah, try to. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so like, so like, there was we didn't always align on beer style, and so mm-hmm. when when City Build opened, uh, we were doing like green tea chamomile pale. Uh, we did um, the smoked peach wheat. That's for sure the lowest rate we talked about in tapped earlier. That's the lowest rated beer we ever had. And my grandma didn't smoke. So grandma's kisses, which was the beer, like I never got it, but it was a smoky ass wheat beer with peaches. <laughs> and so we, we did, um, um, just, man, we did all sorts of spices in beer. But you guys were kind of, I mean, we I'm, had a reputation for decent beer. It's just, yeah, I, I've always known you for having a reputation for decent beer. And that's me not being a dude who is out and about in the craft beer community much. You know what I mean? Um, so I don't know if there's been, you know, little shots of fuck these guys out there or whatever, but I haven't heard any. Um, sure. Well, sometimes I'm sure it's happened. But that right. said, you said, you said decent beer. Like I never want anyone to describe our beer as decent. Well, Right. I, you know, or good enough. Uh, it, that's in an effort for me not to overstate and kind of buttress the point that you're trying to make. I mean, I went there right. and I remember that uh, I don't remember what the beer was, but you had poured me something. And I think that we had had a conversation about brewing or whatever, you know what I mean? What kind of yeah. beer you like or whatever. And whatever you poured me, I think it was like a maybe it was a porter or a brown or a stout. It wasn't any. There's no fireworks in it at all. It was just a solid, yeah. good beer. And for me. By the way, uh, that is uh, that's pretty high praise. I mean, I think that's a high bar, right? Particularly a in four today's ingredient beer that's clean and, yep, and tastes good. supposed to taste like, yeah. And that yeah. I can tell you know what you're doing when I drink it, right? Yeah. Um, that to yeah. me is is it's sad, but that to me is a, is a really high bar now. Like it's cool that you you know smoke peaches or or you know mango chocolate bourbon barrel or whatever. Yeah. All those things are fine, right? And I think that brewers should experiment with them if they if they wish. Um, but I, I mean, God knows, I can walk into a brewery and taste whether or not that's what you've primarily done with your career, um, or you spent yeah. some time learning how to be an actual professional brewer, right? Yeah. Um, and it's judgmental, and I you know I get shit for being judgmental all the time. But I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. I'm just saying if that's all you can do, then you ain't really worth much. You know what I mean? Well, you'll do well as long as that's what everyone wants. Soon, <laughs> yeah, soon right. as, cha- as soon as it changes, then you're stuck. Right. So we talk about that a little bit. You then, oh, what was the year that City Built opened? In 2017. 2017. So May of 27. So we're coming up on five years. Uh, we're we're going to close a bridge that's right next to us and put on a party. Killer. And Killer. so with music. And so, yeah, so five years coming up, but. Uh, but 2017 was, I mean, that's, you know, that's when we kind of started with M4, M43, this New England IPA that we do a lot of. Yeah. Um, and it was a time when there was like a critical mass of 
dudes who look and sound like me online freaking out about freaky beers, right? That was yeah. what was happening, right? Yeah. And if you weren't making freaky beers, it was like, oh, well, you know, where's your creativity and where's your the word that I hate the most in craft beer is innovation, right? Because it's a salesman's word, right? It's a yeah. distributor's word. Innovation. They came what from they the marketing is, department. Right. What they yeah. mean is uh, they put kumquats in it last year and this year it's squava, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's innovation for these people, man. That's not, if you're a brewer and you mean it, man, that's not innovation, right? New techniques, ways to become more efficient, ways to evoke flavors that would be unexpected out of things that you, you, you wouldn't generally put in context. That's innovative, right? I was say working on your like your head retention. Yes. And like that that snow cone head that you want on the top of your lager. Yeah. Like right. Because that's not that's not easy. No. And that's, that, no. that's right. And so yeah. but that's what you see that's what you see German brewers doing. Like yeah. freaking two inch three inches, four inches of foam on top of their yeah. beer and off the glass. Yeah. yeah that, that's that's, that's super cool. Yeah, it is it is cool. And I mean, I guess. That's not to say that, you know, interesting ideas and marrying flavors that are generally not, you know, part of beer or brewing isn't interesting. It, it, it is interesting. Yeah. It's just often done by people that, you know, for example, haven't had a lot of experience as professional brewers where, you know, I mean, I'm 40, I'll be 43 in a week. And uh, I've been doing this since I was 21 years old. Wow. And uh, I've worked for... Germans, I've worked for Belgians, I've worked for a lot of Americans, and I've worked for myself. Um, and every time I make a beer, because I was conditioned as a just kind of a, a floor dog brewer, um, was, you know, is still, okay, is this going to help me put my kids through college, right? Yeah. Right? I mean, am I yeah. passionate about brewing? Yeah, I'm passionate about brewing. It's the only career that I can really have at this stage of my life, and I've been doing it for half of my life. And uh, I am passionate about it, but I don't think I'm passionate in the way most people mean when they say passionate about brewing, right? Yeah. My passion yeah. is to make something that is as perfect as I can make it, no matter what it is, right? Correct. <laughs> and, 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 and as kind of unassailable as it can be, not, not so, so that it's for everybody, but so that there is a clear and cogent argument about why I did whatever I did that is meaningful enough to explain to someone so that they can understand, right? Yes. Um, that's all. Uh, and I don't know if that develops over time for folks or not, but what are your thoughts about moving into the next phase here? And I think it's okay if you want to talk about, you know, trends in the market and all that kind of stuff. We, you know, we're talking about lager with you now. We've been talking, I've been talking about it since I started talking here. Where, yeah. what, why this direction for you? Um, so earlier you asked kind of like, uh, what started it off. Mm -hmm. Right. And so way back in the day I was drinking, you know, PBR and hams and yeah. right. Here. And then I, I, and then my, I grew into like a stout IPA guy and then all the IBUs, give me all the freaking IBUs. Yeah. And then, it, then during the time that I was starting city built, like all of a sudden I didn't like IPAs and I was like, oh shit. Like, what, what am I going to be, you know, like gluten intolerant next? Like, just like, I was like, oh, like literally my palate just died for, like, I couldn't taste it. Couldn't yep. drink it. Like that was too hearted. Some would say, right. That's the, the epitome of IPA. It is. 
hated it. <laughs> like, <laughs> couldn't do it. And then we opened, and then we started making beer again, or at a larger level. And then slowly, I was like, okay, I like, I do like IP. All right, everything's all right. So, so we, our journey as beer drinkers changes, right? Sure. And so, what helped us kind of turn the tables in terms of revenue and all that is to start putting highly adjuncted beers on our taps. Right. But I, but I can't drink them. No, no. And so it gets people through the door and it did in 2017. Lord knows it gets people talking about you online too, man. I mean, it's, it's the way that small brewers have advertised since about 2005 or so. Yeah. And so, I see uh, other. I see my generation of drinkers, and 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 just under me, uh, their palates are changing. Like, man, I can't just drink IPA all night. I'll be sick. I I love IPA, particularly West Coast IPA. But like, like, however, man, if I drink, uh, like we right now we have like this peanut butter beer. It's twelve percent rye barrels, and can't drink it. I can drink four ounces of it. Right. Uh, and then we have a Coke, you know, like we have this 23 boxes of Oregon fruit and 10 barrels. Jeez. Okay. Right. People dig it. Yeah, of course. It for seven bucks a pour, you yep. don't even get 12 ounces. Like it's a, it does what it's supposed to do. Yep. But man, my dream, once we have these lager tanks in is to have a almost 4% bow pills that we serve in 20 ounces and it's four bucks. Yep. And yep. I mean, we, we yeah, like <laughs> that's what I want. And so that's mm-hmm. why we're doing lager tanks is so that, because right now, if we make a lager, we only have four tanks. Right. And so, man, you tie up a tank for five, six weeks uh-uh. and then, but then we sell it in two, like that right. math is not good math. <laughs> well, and, right. And you, I mean, you can't tie your real estate. That's your tanks, man. You can't tie them up. Uh, yeah. If you tie them up, then it can't make money for you. If you can't make money for you, you can't pay your people, and you close the doors, and you can't do that shit. Right. Um, I would, I would rather make a thirty-three hundred dollars stupid fruited beer that I sell in <laughs> that I sell in two weeks, right? Because I can turn that beer in fifteen to twenty days, right? Depending on what we're doing, you know. And so, but however, we we want. I mean, I want some I can drink, so that's right. what we make. You know, so. I find I'm liking to uh, drink lagers, and so that's the direction I think we're going. Right. But not, but City Bill, I think, is an interesting – we offer those beers. Uh, beer on our side of the state versus your side of the state is a little different. Like, people don't get in line on our side of the state. I think people <laughs> get in line on your side of the state still. I don't know. Maybe, not, not maybe I'm – right, maybe I'm wrong. Um, and so, so – I we have to be a few more things to Pete. Like we have a lot of regulars and so they need to find their beer. We don't have any flagships. I'm trying to make them, but hopefully I think we're missing people because we don't have a, like you can't come in every day and get fist street hooligans or Prague underground. And I think those are two flagships. And so we, we miss people because you can't get those two beers all the time. Right. And so, right. and so that's that's kind of what I see for us is we really think that we found success making new beer. Like we put out a new beer like every other week, every third week. Right. Uh, and then we put it in cans. We have really good artists that help us kind of, you know, make it pretty. Um, I think that helped us. But I think what's going to help our tap room continue to be uh, 
a, like strong sales and, and well visited is to find your beer every time you come in. It helps. I think that, yeah. And so yeah. we don't, we just don't have, like people get so mad at me and I'm like, how come I can't have this beer? I'm like, well, it, it sits for seven weeks. Right. When I make this beer, it sits for two. Right. I'm sorry. Like, it's timing, I'm, right? Yeah. But I'm you know, they're, the what they're saying, it's good, right? Because what they're saying is, please give me what I desperately want from you, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and now you're, you know, you're moving tanks in, you're making the investment, you're doing it. I, I touching on you know the difference between these lagers and uh, stronger beers. You talked about a you know this peanut butter twelve percent um, beer. You know you had said well you know it's a beer you know I can drink four ounces of and that I suppose runs into drinking culture right not beer culture as such although it does run into beer culture too but um, just drinking culture. So what I mean by that is. Um, you know, for instance, my family weren't big beer drinkers or drinkers really at all. Uh, but oh, I spent yeah. a lot of time in in, in Germany, as, as, a, as I think you know, and um, that's where I started drinking beers. So, you know, the culture of of beer drinking that I was kind of brought up in was this culture of, you know, you could have a liter of beer anytime, and it's for enjoyment and drinking, and as an accompaniment to whatever it is that you're doing uh, during the day. Um, it's not a good idea to have two generally, it's probably yeah. never a good idea to have more than three. Um, and that was the culture that I grew up in was a beer drinking culture. And the difference between, I think the culture shock for me when I got back to the U S and as craft beer picked up through the early two thousands was there were a lot of people that were making interesting beer to taste, but not a lot of people that were drinking. There were, there were several, but there weren't a lot of people. It wasn't the majority of people that were trying to make good beer to drink right yeah yeah um and the you know what i got told by my masters a lot when i was coming up as an apprentice overseas and here uh was always something to the tune of listen man a good beer is one that you can think about if you wish to it should be layered and nuanced uh but it should also be something that you don't have to think about if you don't want to right? You just want to sit down and drink a good beer. You can just do that. You don't have to take notes, right? Um, yeah, you don't You don't have to log in. Yeah, right? I mean, just drink it, it and number. enjoy it, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and make that one of, your, one of your staples. And I think that that humble perspective on beer, yeah, I was afraid for a long time that that was being lost in craft brewing. And there were, you know, people who were, who were kind of getting into it to be rock stars. And, you know, what kind of crazy shit can I make? whatever that year's crazy shit was, whether it was high ABV or high IBU or high amounts of things that don't taste like Glitter. beer or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying I'm a purist. Again, all that stuff is cool. Um, but for me, what I like is beer that you can drink. And even when it comes to, you know, New England IPAs and, and weirder West Coast IPAs that we make here, the point is always to make them drinkable, right? Mm -hmm. And that's technical stuff. I mean, you have to know how to do that in order to do it. I and mean, you might be able to stumble into it, um, but I don't yeah. think anybody wants to be that kind of brewer, right? Um, you know, you want to you want to make sure your pHs, your terminal pHs, and pH throughout the process are good. You want to make sure that your yeast is particularly healthy the whole way through the process. That your raw materials are providing the yeast with precisely what it needs and that your brewing techniques are doing the same in order to buttress that yeast and make sure that it's going to not give anyone a hangover uh, that they didn't earn. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
and that's hard, man. If you're talking about 10,000 hours to mastery, that's probably your first seven or 8,000 hours is to get there, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think when you talk too a little bit about, you know, the different beer cultures on either side of the state, and we're, you know, like 10 miles east of Lansing, but we're fundamentally in the middle of the state, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but we do tend to trade in Southeast Michigan a lot more than we do in West Michigan. I think a lot of that, I mean, we do great business in West Michigan. We're super thankful for everybody there that, mm -hmm. that buys our beer, but uh, there's not as much noise in West Michigan about our breweries there's in Southeast. Um, and, and I think why that is, is, I mean, look at the successful production breweries who still exist in Michigan. You've got Bells, that's in West Michigan. You have mm -hmm. Founders, that's in West Michigan. Uh, you've got who shorts that's in Northwest Michigan, right? Yeah. Um, New Holland, West Michigan, West Michigan and old nation, right? Which is kind of in the middle of the state. There's really not a notable production brewery in Southeast Michigan. You have Griffin claw. You have a lot of those kind of guys. Um, but you're right. The culture is different. And I've given this some thought. What do you think? What do you think about that? I mean, would you have any theories or is there anything kind of mind when we talk about it? Sometimes I think maybe the it's a newer experience on the east side of the state. And not that far behind, but I, I right. feel like um what did I hear recently? Uh that I don't I feel like the beer culture that exists over there really has grasped on to homes, to drafting table, Big to time. ascension, right? Yeah. And, and so, um, so you're seeing people get in line for their beer and also those people are like, I don't, I have, I'm part of a beer group. That's, I think a whiskey group now, like, I don't right. like, they're not trading beer anymore. Like I'm right. not trying to get beer from California. I mean, it comes, don't get me wrong, but like on your side of the state, if they can get Ascension homes or drafting table, there's trade value. Right. Right. And so, yes. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you at the, at the beginning of 2020, when we started trading or we started changing how, like what we were going to brew and how we were going to package it, it was because of a conversation I had with Tommy at Holmes. And he didn't tell me they did this, but he said enough that I was like, you are getting other people to distribute your beer yep. around the country. 100%. And so then I'm like, I'm doing that. And so then, and so like, we started to make beer and I was starting to not track, but kind of pay attention. Like all of a sudden people are checking my beer in, in Florida, in Colorado, in California. Yeah. I was like, all right, it's working. <laughs> like, yeah. Someone is asking for like, they want to trade our beer. And then also the person here is using it as fodder. It's fine to get whatever they want from California, Colorado, Florida, you know? Sure. And then Carolina's. you get to read. Then you get to read the reviews of these arch beer aficionados and what they think of your beer right. or you as a person. Um, which is I, always, yeah, I don't think I don't. That doesn't carry a lot of weight for me. On like, I, I'm pretty confident in our brewer's ability to make really good, clean beer. Mm -hmm. um, I think that those venues untapped are really just a measure of my brand. For sure. So, for example, I think if I made if City Built made a beer and Holmes sold it, yeah, four four point five. Four point five. If Holmes made it and City Built sold it, it'd be four point two. Right. Four point you know four point you know four. Sure. 
their brand is stronger. I, I really just think that's all it is. It's a really good right. measure of your brand because there's beers that we put out since. And I'm like, there's no way that beer is going to get to four. <laughs> and I'm like, like we made this key lime beer. It was so freaking gross. It wasn't gross. It was just so sour, like mouth puckering, teeth melting sour. Yeah. And it got a high rating. Like it kept like people were seeking it. It was so weird. But that's it's, dude. So I noticed in the early 2000s when the um, this is this is when the IBU wars kind of really started. So like say 2005 or so, 2004. Yeah, maybe a little bit later. There had been this kind of nascent thing about ABV in the late 90s and early 2000s where it was kind of like people were experimenting with barley wines and imperial stouts. But at that time, those were crazy beers, right? It was crazy just to make a beer that was that strong. And so, you know, there was a little bit of that. But when the IBU races really started, uh, I was working at a pub in Rochester, uh, north of Detroit, and um, later in downtown Detroit. And at both places, um, they it was always the guys who were big hot sauce fans, right? That would be big uh, IBU fans, you know what I mean? And what yeah. they were doing was like kind of putting a metric on their masculinity by being able to drink beer that was that bitter, for sure. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't like, oh, my God, I really like this beer. You've got to try this. It was like, I can drink this and I bet you can, right? That's uh, an American thing. Right, exactly. <laughs> And I was like, what the fuck? Who wants gross? You know what I mean? Who wants to do that? But I think that that's carried over. I think that that kind of person, for whatever reason, gets is interested in in craft beer quite often. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it becomes, you know, okay, now it's barrel aged stouts and now it's, you know, smooge or or whatever it is, right? It's just freaky stuff, right? Yeah. And uh, again, not to say that that can't be done well, but. Uh, it seems like those folks are looking for something different out of beer than, for example, I look for in beer, right? I sometimes will comment that beer is dead. Right. And, and, and jokingly, because I'm not changing my, you know, I don't have any plans of leaving. Right. However, I'm very, I'm very conscious of uh, what the market is today and what I think we have to be in order to continue to be relevant until it's cool to drink beer again yeah and i think it's short-lived i think all the sugary shit that people are drinking that's gonna that'll because they're gonna get fat and or die and <laughs> right of diabetes or whatever sure. and so and there's a lesson in that and to be like oh maybe we need to go back to the you know the lagers and the just eat a wheat beer and right just a, a four ingredient anything right a beer Right. Yeah. Um, and talking about these these nuances instead of the stuff that's just going to absolutely break your nose. Right. Because it hits you so hard. Um, I wonder uh, when, you know, I mean, we're like we're a brewery. We're in 20 states. We sell beer in Europe. We get great ratings on Untapped. It's all fantastic. Right. Um, we're lucky that way, I think. And I mean, I think we worked hard for it, but but I think that luck had a lot to do with it for mm-hmm. sure. Um, and, uh, I have not wasted, but I've spent so much money in the last three or four years making lager, right. And just trying to get people turned on by it. Right. But it's funny, man, because everybody loves, you're doing it. (laughs) Thank you you very much. I haven't thanked you. I I thanked you before the podcast, man. Thank you for branding. You're a, 
you're a good you're a good man. Um, For sure. I'm sorry. Go on. No, please. Uh, it's it's that. Uh, yeah, please do not apologize for for branding my beer on a podcast. I neglect to do so on. Um, but uh, man, it is. I mean, hundreds of thousands, more than a million dollars, right? I've just spent, right? Making these lager beers over the last three or four years to almost no real effect, right? Yeah. And it's not like, I mean, you know, people love like an underdog story. It's like, oh man, last year this guy was selling computers and this year, you know, he put in a five barrel system and he's making 12% um, gingerbread beer and it's great, right? which is fine right yeah yeah but the story that we're telling is here's a dude who's been doing this literally middle-aged now he's been doing this for half his life he's had all these like successes doing this thing right making lager beer and learned overseas and i mean it's been his whole entire life and he's trying to share this with you and talk to you about it and people are like mm, i don't know right and it's like god best, damn it yeah, best lager ever two stars <laughs> <laughs> uh, shit, uh, you know, forget it, man. I'll just make another New England IPA. But, uh, you know, I mean, I, that's out in the market, man. And here's an example of that. That Fritz Lager is the best lager I can make in Michigan. It, I, I can't make a better lager in Michigan, right? Yeah. I would be a cocky asshole and challenge anybody to make a better lager than that in Michigan, right? Um, and I think, I, you know, I think I've earned that kind of confidence. But... Um, <clears throat> You know, it got picked up, for example, at Kroger, because those guys are beer geeks and they kind of get where beer is headed. Um, and Meyer said, no thanks, right? Meyer, for whom we make literal millions of dollars a year out of a space on their shelf the size of a size 10 shoebox, was like, man, wow. we don't know. You know what I mean? Lager. There's a lot of lagers, right? Yeah. Um, so it doesn't matter how big you get or how much momentum you have or, or anything like that, man. If you are not tapping into what people are talking about and buying, it doesn't matter what you're doing, man. And then so then we get these smoked peach porters or whatever. You know what I mean? Wheat beers. Because um, <laughs> people are just kind of casting about trying to figure out how to please folks that want to give them money for beer. Yeah. And that's dangerous, man. That's scary to me. Um, yep. and I don't know the solution and I couldn't even really tell you why it's scary to me, but it gives me that feeling like some, something's behind you. You know what I mean? It does. I don't think it's good for beer and I'm glad to see that in some ways we're kind of pulling out of it, but I'm not absolutely positive we are. So I'm asking you to give me some, give me some, give me some steel in my spine. What are you seeing with regard to people talking about this kind of beer and conversations you've had? I don't, I don't think you're wrong. I, I, uh, I think that there is a trend towards lager. We're not the only one. Like we were going to get a fooder for a lager, <sighs> and we we're like, but you know, we we only have X amount of space. And my 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 uh, distribution partner was like, "You're going to waste that much space to do something that he's like, you could just put another fermenter in there, and you'll make so much more money." And I was like, "You're right." And so done. And so we didn't do it. No. Um, but when you walk into, uh, I hang out with the guys at Mitten quite a bit. Those guys are good guys. So when you walk into there, they have like three lagers on. Killer. And you know what I mean? So you walk into, I mean, homes. They're, I mean, it's a fooder lager, but they're investing in lagers. They're investing their time in, to get good at it. Right. Um, same with Ascension. 
uh, drafting table he learned in Germany too. Right. I think he's I think he's one of the best brewers in the state. He's good. Um, he's really. I think good. he's real. I think he's really good. And I also get to be around him, so that's part of it, right? But right. That's that said. Uh, you know, with Pro Pills, like he's making ground. He's getting tap handles with that beer. Sure. You know, Brew Detroit. They're doing lagers and and selling lagers around town. Yeah. You know, the Mexican lager. So yeah. I. I I I think that I I think that's the trend, and I you know man I was at Seven Monks and there was a logger on it was eight dollars or nine dollars I was like what the hell and then I was like well and I thought am I charging too little right you know but also ours ours was like six and so which I still thought was kind of high but considering what I charge them for the keg but that that means there's but that means they can sell it right right, right? that means they're selling right. six and eight and nine dollar loggers yep to consumers at their space and so they're they're priced uh, to market and I, I i do think that that's like you make a good point i think when you talk about well i know what i charged them for it right and i know yeah. that they don't have to sell it for that price right yeah, um, yeah, that that is a little bit too much, <laughs> um, and maybe that's a mistake that that we're making with this with the lager that, that that or the lagers, but particularly the lager that you're drinking now, is, you know, man, like that it's 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 beer. It should be humble, right? Yeah. Um, and not not to say that it that you can't talk about it and be proud of it and talk about you know how what it took to make it, but. You know, I think one of the things that I really have been vexed with with the craft beer cultures we've talked about before is just this idea that everything that comes out of a brewery has to either be a, a great winner or an abject loser, right? Um, that there can be stuff that you just don't really quite understand yet that you're putting down your neck. Um, and you need to maybe take a second and figure out what that's supposed to be. Yeah. Before you start saying, well, you know, it's well, whatever. It's it's it doesn't it's have crap. any flash. It's overhyped. Whatever. Um, yeah. You know, not that there's any hype on the beer that you're drinking right now, really at all. But um, I, I don't know, man. It, it, it's I guess the point that I'm trying to make here is the trend of lager beer doesn't really seem to match with craft beer culture as it's been established broadly in Michigan, at least, and I would say around the country. Right. I just think that, I just think that the aficionado is louder. Yeah. So I, I, it's like the 70, 30 rule. Yeah. Like 30% of the people are talking who like that. Right. The other 70, 70%, they're not saying anything, but they're still buying it. Right. Right. And so, you know, and so, and you have to, you have to feed them both. Sure. Because because you need, because we don't advertise. Right. Uh, and so we need them to, you know, and we didn't distribute and they were the ones who were sending my beer all around. Right. You know, there's a, there's a guy who comes in and he'll get 10 cases of stuff. <laughs> I know it's not for him. No. You know, and, and I know he gets a discount and I don't care. It's still right. cheaper than, it's still cheaper than me selling it uh, to a store. Oh, dude. Right. Yeah. The, the haircut we get on that guy is so worth it. Yeah, for you sure. Know? And and that day is uh, that day is always like, that's a good sales day when these people yeah. come walking out with ten cases at a time. One hundred percent. Well, when we did releases a lot, uh, when the New England IPAs were were 
just starting to come out. The money we made on those releases was obscene. Um, and yeah. we would make, we made t-shirts for guys that did that. We made beer mule t-shirts for guys that would come out here and get 20, 30 cases. And these are like a hundred dollars a case. Yeah, These guys are dropping two, three grand at a brewery. What the I'm, hell is going on? Um, you know, it wasn't, yeah, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> you know, it was, it was, you know, I'd never experienced anything like it. And I thought it was cool, but I also felt like, man, this is dangerous, dude. It's not like, not for me. Right. I just cleared 80 grand in a day and it's fine for me. That's not dangerous at all, man. It's awesome. But I look forward uh, to that day. Yeah, <laughs> it'll come. But uh, uh, for me, it's awesome, but I'm not sure that it's healthy for beer, right? Um, not that I don't think the beer that we make is good and worthy of that kind of thing, but I, I don't know that any beer should be really. I, I don't know that I look at that as a negative thing because, again, I, that guy's distributing your beer. Sure. And, and you, didn't, you didn't have to pay anyone to do it. He did yeah. it. Man, I'm in a, I'm in a group that – I can get a beer from Grand Rapids to your brewery in a day. Right. And I only have to, like, there's hubs. Right. That's crazy. They have a really, they, I don't know if they're logistics who set these up or what, but, like, it's amazing how I can get a beer from here. Man, you can get a beer to Colorado in within two weeks. Right. Because of because of who they allow in the group. Mm -hmm. Right. Everyone's going to kind of carry that, which is interesting that I get to be part of it because I stopped being a mule, stopped being a, you know, like I just am there to learn. Right. You know how to just I'm, I've learned so much out of just watching that group. So I don't I don't know that at all. If if you're hoping on an eighty thousand dollar week once a month, I think that's the dilemma or that's the problem is it just you just can't measure when they'll get in line and when they won't. Yeah. Well, and, and we weren't, I mean, we weren't like depending on the money. It was just like, no, I'm this, sure. Like, is it, I'm, I didn't feel, it felt like we were getting away with something. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, and, and we weren't necessarily, I mean, everybody was just doing what they did and we happened to be the brewery that year that they were, you know, on fire about. Um, but it, it, it's this, this idea of, of uh, uh of i mean co competition is something that i enjoy greatly i have my whole life i think it's a lot of fun um winning is something i like a lot um i have different metrics for winning right because i have different expectations yeah. that are generally realistic about how any given beer will do that yeah. lager that you're drinking right now is selling man it's selling several hundred cases a week um awesome. But that's not much compared to, you know, how M43 sure. sells or whatever. Um, and, you know, I, I guess my, you know, my, my, my drive here and, and, and what I'm trying to talk to, to folks about, uh, like yourself and, and, and others that I've spoken to, is just like, I, I, I think about this job as trade work, right? Uh, my dad was a machinist. Uh, my grandfather was career military. My uncles are all tradesmen. Everybody I grew up around in a small town was a tradesman. That was the that was the path to nobility that I understood as a kid. Right? Yeah. Um, was nobility? With your hands. Yeah, through work with your hands and the yeah. proper application of your tools and the things you learned and pride in your work and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and so for me, you know, when I see some 
ratty kids that put a brewery together and put a bunch of raspberry in a beer and everybody goes nuts about it. I'm kind of like, huh? I mean, I'm not, doesn't make me mad. Um, but I'm like, man, I, I guess I'm looking for nobility and maybe that's stupid, but, um, it's made me a lot of money. I, I don't know how stupid it could be. You know, I don't know. Does that well, resonate to you at all? I, I understand the perspective a hundred percent. Like just, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be 48 this year, right. so, but I've only been in the business for, I'll just say seven years. Right. Because that's when I started the, the track. And uh, but I've been in enough other situations to see a different. Like the different point of entry breeds a different type of uh, approach. Right. And and so and like just like every generation. Like, yeah, you're old, you're old guard. Right. And you're and you're looking at the, the softness of the new guard. Right. <laughs> right. And because and I, I feel that like, right. just in general, like just like we we're talking about pandemic and how it's made everything change. It's made everyone softer. Yeah. And or bitter. I can't figure it out. But Both that, but but that said, like, man, when City Bill opened up, here's who else opened up at the same time as us. Creston, New Holland, Atwater, Jolly Pumpkin, Harmony Hall opened a second location, Grayline, uh, one other brewery. And those are like all those breweries I listed were in our neighborhood. They were West Side breweries. And then City Built. And then I'm having I'm having to talk with investors about saturation. And I'm like, there's no saturation. No, there's no like And they didn't know what I knew. But they still could feel that every, you know, every guy who had a, you know, five gallon kettle was trying to open a brewery or had an existing brewery and saw the opportunity in Grand Rapids and then moved their brewery here, you know, all in the same street, which is kind of weird too. It is, but uh, it was all cheap property, the West Side, which is a bummer because the West Side is just the best part of the city. I agree. But, but that said, um, we crushed it went out of business. Atwater is almost closed. Uh, Creston then got bought by Sogtuck. Yeah. But so Sogtuck's down the street. And I was actually kind of bitter about that. I, well, I used to call Bridge Street Carpetbaggers Row. <laughs> all You go spend your money there, it all leaves. Right. And as a guy who's very engaged in our community, who in our business spends a lot of time connecting with a few different there's a few different circles that we have decided that's who we're when we have money that's where it's going you yep. know same here uh and and so and i'm like you're stealing from those groups yep because instead of coming to my space they're coming to your space so when Sagatuck bought crust and now it's super salty and then i went there and there was enough people at the front to greet me yep like four people tried to get my beer order. I got a beer and food in like 10 minutes and it was a different experience. Right. And not to say that I, you know, I'm not trying to talk shit about the old Chris and I'm just saying it was managed well. And I, as I left, I was like, how can you be salty about the fact that they just invested in this neighborhood? This neighborhood's better because they're there. There you go. And so, so I changed, I changed, you know, I kind of changed my, also like, are you just mad that there's competition? So I had to check myself really. Right, right. And 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 so, but like we we kind of shined in that group. 
you know, and Grey Line makes awesome beer. They just don't talk about it. Is Sam They're still brewer, is the brewer down there? Do you know? I don't know that. Is he like his brother-in-law? I, I don't know that there's any changes. Okay. Okay. I mean, the, Sam, I know, opened that place up, and he is a monster. He's a at, at Grey Line? Yeah. yeah. Working for Nate? Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. Sam's the only dude I know, and I haven't even okay. talked to Sam in probably six or seven years. But, um, you know, we were yep. never really close, but we worked together actually at Atwater years and years ago. And okay. uh, he was, uh, you know, he was a monster, man. He was doing it right. He was hardcore. He was absolutely concerned about the right things, and he was – you know, he was they make great. really, really good beer, man. Dude, I, then it must they be. Make, yeah. Yeah. They do such a good job. So, uh, yeah. So, I, I'm i not sure. Uh, I don't think you're wrong to be like, what the heck? Because really, yeah, you're not wrong to feel that. Well, and can I say, it? it you you know, you, you said check yourself. And for me, it's not it's not being angry that there's competition necessarily. It's disappointment that the game that is being played now is so fucking easy to figure out and do. Right? <laughs> yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. What? But man, can this when it starts to become lager? Right. Because right when it starts to be, I mean, there's certain fruits we can't get right now because Oregon was on fire a year ago. So there's beers we can't make that we used to make. And so when you have don't have access to that anymore. Because there's a, you know there's that there's a whole uh, sustainability conversation. We're not talking about that, but there's a sustainability conversation when you're putting 23 bags of organ fruit in a beer. 100%. Uh, and so when they can't do that and they're forced to make clean beer, no adjuncts. You can't hide behind adjuncts or coffee. Nope. nope. Like as a home brewer, I can tell you, I hid I hid behind coffee a lot. Like, of course you did. Why yeah, wouldn't you? <laughs> you know, right. But <laughs> but not, you know. But now, if you can't what i love about our brewer is when we are like hey we have take space let's let's make an esb let's make uh you know what i mean let's make uh, a colch right they're super good they're right. so good he does right. such a good job you know and so uh we're we're right now we're, we're making a a porter like we have a we have a porter that we've kind of built a brand around however this guy comes into city built and just loves on my staff. Like he'll tip the kitchen a hundred bucks. It's called it's called a night out. Okay. So you can so he, he t- all the time, like once a week, he comes in, he tips the kitchen. He's a retired guy. He's a, he gave one of my servers who was going on tour for his band four hundred bucks. He's like, here's some gas money. Jeez. So his name is Rich, and so we're like, hey, let's. He's we asked him, what's your? And he doesn't know this, but what's your? You always get Porter. What do you like about Porter? Right. And what would you be your what would be your ideal porter? And he's like, well, it'd be like five percent, five and a half percent, under six, and it would be chocolatey, but not have chocolate in it. Yeah. And it would be so he was describing a four ingredient porter. Yep. And so we're doing it, and we're going to call it Living Rich. Perfect, and, beautiful. And so because this guy Rich lives, he's just living his best life, and so uh, at the expense of everyone around him, he just loves on everyone around him, right? And so. Uh, I'm excited about that beer, you know. Because, a, I, I really actually think that that brand has legs, because who doesn't want to say I want to live in rich? Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know? absolutely, man. So, I got. Um, I love four porters. I'm not giving you a secret. You probably already know this is great stuff, but um, I love four porters. Simpsons chocolate malt. Uh, I think that that is one of the shiniest, deepest 
not chocolate, but chocolate malts around and is so yeah. and adds this depth of flavor to a porter, particularly which can be kind of ashy sometimes. Um, yep. you know what I mean? And that and that depth yep. just kind of comes up and, and really supports that that sort of that smoky carbon kind of ashiness that sometimes comes in porters. But um yeah. Somebody told me about it years ago, so I tell everybody else about it too. That's man. cool. I'll, I'll awesome. tell my brewer about it for sure. <laughs> Our brewer came from a homebrew shop. That's how we hired. Oh, him. he knows that. He he had a conversation about how hops and malt work together every day for five years, and he, and as a result, I'm excited for this porter because I know, I know that he thought about it. Right. That he put you know his his experience into. The, like it was so specific like you talked about being in the lines or the box yeah like i'm i'm very confident it'll come out really good and so yep. I'm, I'm so so we have that but i've been into some some breweries in michigan uh that are hype breweries where you go to taste their their you know four ingredient simple beer and you're like oh what's that like yeah. just completely surprised that and then you taste the next four ingredients, simple beer, and you're like, oh, there's there's something they're not getting. There's right. A disconnect. You know, but then you taste that IPA that overhopped, and you're like, this is awesome. Right. You know? Right. Right. Well, and I mean, you said, you know, you said before when I was talking about American drinkers being like, you know, I can drink this and you can't, that that's a that's a really American thing. And uh, or that displays some kind of stereotypically American attitude, right? Um, but uh, you know, that's what I've gotten from my buddies who are brewers that I came up with as an apprentice uh, in Europe a lot, man. It's like they don't get it, <laughs> right? Uh, and I don't know that I do either, so I have trouble explaining it to them. When they're like, you know, wh why is it so important for you guys, you know, in America to just put a lot of whatever in a beer and then the beer just tastes like that? You know, where's the balance? Where's the thoughtfulness you know where's the poetry in this beer you know um and my response to that is i, I don't know man I, i'm sure people didn't think there was a lot of poetry in the rolling stones when they came out but here we are you know what i mean yeah um maybe you just don't get it and maybe i don't either and i that's kind of where i've left it internally but it is that's something, probably pretty healthy yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it is something that i think about you know when you think about what what's the next thing that your brewery is going to do and the decisions that I used to make like that when it was a pub were pretty, you know, it doesn't really matter that much, right? We're going to give it a rip and see, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And now, you know, making a decision that ultimately becomes a mistake could be a three or $400,000 mistake easily, Ooh. right? Ooh, um, yeah. Just on that beer, not on what it does to the rest of the beer that we have, right? Um, yeah. And so, you know, as the money gets bigger the degree of difficulty kind of raises um and you can go one of two ways man and i think it's great to hear uh, the direction you're going in we are going in the same direction i've been going in that direction since 2003 i remember um, yeah. i was there <laughs> yeah. um and and, it, and it's good to know that the other folks are doing it too and it's good to know particularly that the folks like you are doing it for the right reasons right not because it's happening, um, but because you want it to happen, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that at this stage in, you know, every summer, dude, since I've been brewing in the United States has been the summer of the sour or the summer of the lager and it never happens, right? Yeah. 
It might be this summer. It might not be. But I think as long as we have brewers that are out there saying, look, man, this is what it's about. This is what we want you guys to try. We understand why you like this noisy stuff that we make. And that's all well and good. But please give this a shot and please try and understand what it is. Yeah. That's the only way it's going to happen, man. You can't put a lot of fireworks in a Pilsner, right? Well, it's funny you mentioned that. Yeah. So this brewery, I won't say the brewery, but this brewery did a marshmallow lager. Fuck off. And so, and that's, so our assistant brewer, he's now, he's now the lead brewer at Arbonne. But I was like, hey, let's make a, a marshmallow lager. And he's like, are you fucking kidding me right yeah. now? <laughs> he was so mad. Good. He was so mad. And I was like, well, I guess I'm not that into it. You know, I was like, <laughs> I just saw it done and no one's doing it here. And so you know, why not? Good. So then we got a, then we got a can. It was so gross. Was of course so it gross. was. <laughs> I was like, basically, they just added a bunch of sugar to it, like vanilla. It, it it just it added a bunch of sugar to this beer. It was super sweet. It just wasn't good. And I'm like, no, not everything should be adjuncted. And like, we should probably stick to the rules. As when when we do this beer, let's try to keep the integrity of this this style of beer. I you was. Know, we're not. I was working underneath a guy who was probably in his late fifties, early sixties, when I was in my early twenties, um, in on the northwest coast of um, of, of Germany up there uh, near Denmark, and uh, that's near where Goza was made. Um, and uh, you know, Goza was this. You know, they were using this this snake grass essentially as a lauder aid and all this different kind of stuff that imparted the salt. They weren't adding salt necessarily. Mm -hmm. um and it was fascinating to me right because this by the way remember this is like 2001 2002 you could find some of this stuff in like a michael jackson book maybe but it wasn't no one was out there like talking about it right, right. um or be excited about it um but i was and i was like man you know we're making pilsner at the brewery of course that i was working at i was like man you know you're from around here what do you know about giza and he said uh and I mean, I remember this really clearly because he looked at me like an ant, you know, and he was like, well, let me ask you a question to answer that. Mm -hmm. Why do you think people stopped drinking Guza? I was like, I, I don't know. Why? Why? And he was like, because they had any other choice at all. Right. No one ever liked it. And, and I mean, I'm sure he's exaggerating, right? But like, you know, sure. no, no one ever liked it. And as soon as Pilsner came around, everybody was like, oh, shit, beer can taste like that. I'm drinking that. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And that story stuck with me, man. And so really, that's kind of the if there's fear that I have, that's the kind of fear it is where it's like. Man, I think Pilsner is valuable to brewers. I think it's valuable in the story of beer. It's obviously not overlooked. It's still the most popular style of beer in the world, but it's also taken for granted a lot and just lager generally. And every time I get that feeling and I hear people freaking out about Marshmallow Pilsner or whatever, um, yeah. I think, oh, fuck, are we losing that, man? Is that something? Is that going down like Guza did? Um, no way. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think there's so. No, there's no way. <laughs> so let me ask you, if you go into a shit bar, for example, I'm a, I'm a member of the Fish Street Hall. Yeah. Which is, which is a Polish hall. They let people like me into. It's cool. <laughs> and so when you go into the, like that dive, what do you get? Um, well, I, you know, I will uh, generally get whiskey, <laughs> if I'm being honest. 
<laughs> I get Telemadu. I get Telemadu. Yeah, if they got powers, I'll get powers from in Chicago. You know, um, yeah. but uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll get a whiskey usually. If I'm if I'm drinking beer, I mean, what you know? If the question is, what are your favorite you know gas station beers? Dude, I, I still like Coors Banquet beer. I think it's great. But not but not Coors Light. No, hell no. Um, Coors Banquet, yeah. You know, dude, one that I get a lot, man, if I'm like out camping and I didn't bring, I don't always drink, you know what I mean? So I don't always bring a bunch of beer with me. Um, yeah. But if I'm out camping and I want a six pack or something, um, Corona Familiar is one that I think is fucking fantastic. Actually, I've not had it. Oh, Familiar. dude, it's the Corona in All the right. brown bottle. All right. It's I'll so good. It it's less sunstruck. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's just good. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not going to take over the world or anything, but it's just a good no, no. beer you can get just about yeah. anywhere, you know? That's, um, and that's kind of what you want when you're in that. Yeah, space. I mean, yeah. I grew up in, in farming country, um, so the breadth of culture in that country was white or Mexican, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, we I was friends with, uh, you know, one of my best friends, Robbie Hernandez. His mom didn't even really speak English, but you know, the way they, the way they drank beer, the way they respected it, um, the way they, you know, ate food and cooked food and respected it, um, had a huge impact on my life. Um, and they drank Corona Familiar. And so I think that's the reason why I still drink it today. Man. That's awesome. Just a yeah, killer family, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, you know, I, I can't, I mean, I can't tell you there wasn't, you know, the people that, that looked and acted like me were, you know, miserable generally. And, sure. you know, Robbie's mom and dad and, you know, Omar's mom and dad and their family, man, they weren't miserable. They were making the same amount of money that everybody else was and they were happy. Right. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so to me, I think that's maybe even why I became a brewer in part was because I saw that, right. How they, they weren't drinking beer to get out of their family and to get out of their life and get out of their just head. Part they, of it. it was part of it. Um, and I think that's what, you know, that there's a huge inf information uh, to me on, on drinking. And so for me, Dos Equis, Modelo, um, Corona, special, those were special occasion beers, of course. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> Corona Familiar um, yeah. are all beers that remind me of, of just good people and, and good times. And so those are the beers that I go to generally if they're available to me. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. We covered a lot of ground, dude. I, I think we probably could have gotten to a lot more, but, uh, you know, we're running up on time. Is there anything else you want to talk about? I think the fifth year anniversary you were talking about sounds interesting. Who's playing? Do you know yet? So, um, we've had, no. And so okay. we've had two, so we, we've, we've scheduled almost two acts. We've scheduled one act and then had to change the date. So we lost them. So we're, we're also planning for, so we're doing Friday Night Live, which is a, event that we did all last summer and uh so like the first and third friday essentially is what it was i'm not sure how the dates line up this year but we'll have two events in june july august and september where we provide free music a bunch of people show up uh we have food trucks there because so many people show up our kitchen can't like you can't have a party and run out of beer food or bathrooms no words <laughs> it's and so we, we invite these other food trucks to come. Our kitchen does the same amount, like their capacity in a night, is about 5,500 bucks in food sales. We'll hit over that. If it's more than that, they just have a shitty night. Like yep. they can do more, yep. but 
when they go home, they're pissed. Yep. And so, so what that does is allows them to stick around 5,500 bucks. Our uh, beer sales are tremendous, which is good. Uh, we're part of a social district, so you can get a beer at our walk-up window and then walk across the street with it. So nice. we're excited about that. We're, we're For the fifth year anniversary, we're closing down the bridge, uh, the 6th Street Bridge, which is located just south of us. Uh, we'll have music, uh, a beer festival, and then um, we're raising money for the Grand Rapids Public School Foundation. Killer. Which my kids go to Grand Rapids Public Schools. They're both part of after-school programs, and this organization is what makes those after-school programs uh, available to kids that can't. One more time with the name, please. Grand Rapids Public School Foundation. Okay, excellent. And uh, so, uh, fantastic. So, yeah, we're, we're excited about that. Um, before this conversation, uh, I heard that you're a Run the Jewels fan. No, dude. Yes, not really. In the same way um, as, yeah. as a lot of people, dude. I'm a, I've been playing guitar since I was about eight years old. Uh, yeah. And I am a rock and roller and uh, folk kind of dude. But I do appreciate anytime people do things that are pushing boundaries and super fucking interesting. And in that way, I am around the jewels. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, so I'll tell you that story because <laughs> yeah. it came up. And so, man, I had an artist. His name's Kyle DeGroff. Yeah. And, I, and uh, another one named Elliot Chaltry. And I was like, hey, I want to do this beer. These, I like basically this, this these lyrics. Uh, into the murk, into the haze, into the fray. Those are lyrics in their songs. Nice. I was like, they are like, those are like, those are hazy beers. Like, that's, that's a layup, like, baby. That's a layup. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. And so I'm like, we have to do this. I was like, there's four albums. Those are hands are iconic. Can you please give me a face? So if you see those hands, what's the face look like? Draw that. Right. Nice. So then, so then we we're always working from behind. It feels, and so. I get my art. I've already, already, I've already got cans. Like I've got brights with no label. Yeah. Into the fray was already in cans, and into the Merc was about to go into cans. And uh, I'm and he shows me this art, and the hands are on it, and I'm like, fuck. Yeah, and it was your. Yeah, and I was like, but yeah, it was that, yep. and so I'm like, but I don't have time. And if I ask you to make a revision, I'll get it maybe in a week. Nah. So I'm like, let's just run it. Who cares? Yeah. So we ran it, we labeled it, it went pretty good. But then like I heard from uh their manager who happens to be from Ann Arbor. Okay. And he, yeah, he happens <laughs> to be from Ann Arbor. And so uh he's like, Hey man, uh saw your guys' beers, really impressed like the quality of theft. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> like the quality <laughs> of theft is like high end. Like you guys yeah. really did a good job with these faces, but like you stole our IP, what the fuck? Right. Let's chat. And so, That's a good way. Uh, and so I was like, all right, well, let's, ch let's chat. So we talked, and essentially they, they were, I think they were feeling me out. How big? Like, wait, do we have a old nation size brewery, and you know, or do we have small city built size? Yeah. I was like, yeah, man, yeah. it's ten barrels. None of it went into distribution. All of it sold out of our tap room. Um, most of it went in the tap, but we did have cans. Right. Um, they're like, well, mail it to us. So when I mailed it to them, I had my artist develop these stickers with just the head, like the the rest of the head, because on the cans, you were missing a forehead. Right. That goes from here down. 
And so in that, one of the heads had RTJ like scribbled in the, in the, uh, which is now like a tattoo on my, on my, uh, quad. Nice. So, so like, uh, I mail it to them and they're like, man, again, great job on, on the art, but we really have a problem. And I was like, what? They're like, you, you literally wrote RTJ on the can. I was like, no, we didn't. I was like, we did it. What are you talking about? She's like, I'm looking right at it. Like, what are you talking about? She's like, well, you put these beers in a box in the box. Like, so we made boxes for them. And then it basically all four sides were the four different cans. And I was like, oh, man, I was like, we made that for you. They're like, what? I was like, we had that made because they're we were mailing it to you. I was like, those are the only four boxes. Right, right. With that art on it. And they're like, oh, shit, really? And so, like, I went, like, I went all the way. Yeah. And so, <laughs> in, in that, and so... Man, those guys don't like beer. I think I think that LP has a friend who owns a brewery in New York. Yeah, and that that's his connection to beer. But I'm I'm pretty confident that like uh, Killer Mike drinks cognac and whiskey like us. Like he did, yeah, right. like, you know what I mean? So, so they've they I have the ability to continue to use that stuff at a cost, right? And so, but the cool thing was is one they didn't sue me. Yep. Two, I actually made some good relationships with their marketing person, who's also the marketing person for uh, Pipeworks. Okay, sure. And then I also, uh, uh, we got to be part of the collab, which was the, for the release of uh, whatever video game that was, Cyberpunk. Okay. And so, and then they won awards. And so every time they won awards, our name is listed. Hell yeah. As being, so like, it worked, it worked on so many levels. It, I, I would suggest... Like in 2020, that was one of the things that it didn't put us on the map, but man, did they like the light was firmly placed on City Belt. Well, I heard about it, man. And if I heard about it, then it was something everybody heard about. You know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm coaching baseball or trying to run this bitch. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't really hear much about what goes on. Um, right. So I, this happened, and you did you get the sense? Did you get the sense that they were trying to feel out whether or not it was going to be a fair fight? Or did you get the sense that they were just kind of having fun with the idea and letting it play out or both? I, I, well, I think there was like, there was a brewery somewhere in Colorado that like straight up stole their shit and were selling shirts with their like run the jewel stuff on it. And they, and they say they, they said they made, uh, you know, a contribution as a result, which they thought was in question at least that was a conversation with me. And so like, I just showed them the numbers. I was like, I'll be transparent with you. Like we, you know, these beers were expensive to make because they're, you know, malt bill was big. They were double IPAs. The, the hop, you know, bill was, was expensive Huge. because we used, we used galaxy and Nelson Savin and like right. Citra and Mosaic. Disco and, like, oh, big time. <laughs> Cheat, cheater hops. And so yeah. like we, we use, you know, because like make a bad beer with those hops, right? You've got to really suck. You got to so like, suck. yeah. And so like, you know, there's not a lot of money in this. However, we just, I was listening to your music during the whole pandemic. You guys released an album during the pandemic, and I promise you, sometimes I'd listen to all four of your albums in one day because my job changed significantly during the pandemic, and like I'd have to go get wine and fruit and. Like we didn't have it delivered because it was cheaper for me to go. Right. And, you know, so like, I was like, this is like, I listen to your shit. And then also like when I started to explain it to people, 
this song and in this band. Uh, I remember I was talking to my friend who's a pastor, and like all of a sudden I was super embarrassed. I was like, "Man, it's filthy," because he's like, "Hey, I'm trying to listen to this band, and it like the filters won't let it. Like my computer filters won't let it play." <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh yeah, uh, it's really filthy." Like yeah, yeah. In fact, the the song that I resonated with is probably one of the cleanest songs in that album. <laughs> The, you know, because it, it talks about a lot of things that a pastor might appreciate. But anyways, like, sure, you know, but I was like, yeah, I was like, man, I, I've been really feeding my mind some filthy shit. For, yeah, but, but it was it was a driver. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I had a low uh, scale, uh, irritating feeling during COVID, you know, and yeah. And it and it fed it in a way that made me excited when I finally got out of my truck. So nice. I was nice. like, that's where I was like, that's where that beer came from. I was like, I took that out of that song because I listened to it a hundred times. Yeah, man. You and like, I think that can be subconscious. And they'd say, you know, 50% or I don't remember the quote, but some portion of all art is theft, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. There's no um, I mean, what what where is the line drawn between inspiration and uh and 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 piracy, you know? And I think that that line is an IP, frankly. You know yeah. what I mean? Um but uh what I mean, so this happens, this means maybe that um I wonder if this is a question that you'll be interested in. I've I've had a lot of conversations throughout my career as somebody who you know, made music for a living for the short time that I worked after, you know, high school and in college uh, before I became a brewer. Um, you know, I, I, I was a, 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 I was a, a musician for a living and mm-hmm. um, I worked at, you know, probably one of the best guitar shops in the United States called Elderly Instruments, which is inexplicably oh, yeah. in Lansing, you know. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I had a really cool job there that I left to become a brewer. And so, um, you know, I talked to you a little bit about, you know, my own background and, and, and trades being a really important part of that and how those guys looked at people who would do something like music for a living is not, you know, I mean, they, they get it. But if you're not making real money doing it, then you're just kind of, you know, wasting. yeah, you're just partying. You're just partying, wasting time. Exactly. Yeah. And so uh, I've had a lot of conversations with brewers that I have respect about the difference between you know, a brewer who is looking to be an artist and a brewer who is looking to be a craftsperson, right? Um, because I think there's a huge difference there. Um, and I think that things like trades and, and brewing in particular incorporate art absolutely into what it is that you do. Um, but mm-hmm. it is not necessarily, a, it can't really necessarily be a primary driver um, because you have concerns of making sure that people get something that they can do whatever they want to do with it, right? Um, and it's consistent and they can trust it and all that kind of stuff. So there is room for art. Um, but I would, I would, I would tender that it is not art exactly. And I wonder if that makes sense to you and how you feel about that. I, I, there's maybe art in the beginning, but then you got to stay in the lane. Like once you make the lane, right, you got to walk the lane. And that, that was an issue for city belt is like, we would be making beer with a different grain belt and call I was like, wait, wait, how do yeah. you know? You can't do that. You can't do that. Well, it's close enough. No, there's no not, such thing. So, <laughs> so then the conversation was, man, you're not in your kitchen anymore. Right. And so, so, and, and for our first brewer, it really, he was uh, a scientist 
True. but he was uh he was an artist you yeah. know like maybe there's a little more magic than science and repetition right you know and so and i and i think that's you get rooted out if you're that as you know as a you will just yeah and especially now like i mean you can't open up and be marginal anymore and no. i think a lot of michigan breweries were are yeah they opened up with the idea that i'm i'm gonna learn yep and you i don't that that road i think is closed yeah for know? sure and so um it is absolutely uh, it's a hard job. I always talk to people about my role in the brewery and like, I'm the dumbest end of the brewery. Like I don't, I do not read the tape measure. I hold the tape measure, you know, Rob is awesome. Right. He reads the tape measure. Right. He takes, he flexes in all the tools. He right. flexes in all the science. That's his job. My job is to make sure that he has what he needs to flex. You know, we, we've invested in tools that I think will help us measure that we're making clean beer measure that we're making the same beer you know and and we're still there's we're still investing in those tools just as we're able um but i think if you if you truly want to be in the business long term you have to be the guy who is flexing on your tools to make like you the the formulation is the is the creative side right right but and even that's, in uh, that even yeah. in that like when you're on Beersmith, like it tells you how far you are in or outside of the line of whatever style you're trying to make. I, this like is not even this that. Not, there's a blade. This is not me bragging, but but I still do all my recipes longhand. I still do all the equations by hand. I do all that shit longhand, um, and I think that's because that keeps me honest, right? I don't have yeah. to do that shit, man. I got 14 brewers who could do that, right? Yeah. Um, but it keeps me honest about it and it keeps me aware of frankly the process of doing that keeps me aware of problems that i wouldn't necessarily be aware of if i hadn't done that work myself does that make sense it and does. so um does it waste time not really i mean i've done it a bunch no. dude i can rip that shit out in 25 minutes i can lose 20 well, minutes if it, for it. if it keeps you engaged then it's not a waste right right that's right if it keeps you engaged in the process and in the in the I mean, at this point, like beer is so is if that's the thing that keeps you grounded to the beginning, right, man, then that's a really good thing because like beer for me is not what it was six right. years ago. Right. It just it, it it is money, it's dollars, it's it's managing personalities, it's managing, 100%. you know, departments. Like it's not was it your dream to own a brewery? No. Not really. But but like it, it was a dream to create a positive culture where we can love on people. It was a dream to create a legacy for my family that I can like, even if my kids don't do the brewery, the brewery is going to provide some opportunities for my kids 100%. that I didn't, that I'd have before. Like that was my dream. Yes. You know, be yeah. able to sit at home at 1126 on a Wednesday so I can be home for my wife's birthday. That's like, that's the part, you know, that's why I'm doing it. Yep. 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 Well, and I mean, I have, you know, I, I have the, uh, the ambition of a, you know, if a kid that grew up in a town of 600 people in Eaton County and wanted to get the fuck out. Right. Um, yeah. and that, and that still lives in me, you know what I mean? But I, but I think that, um, 
doing that work, doing that, you know, mathematical work and all that work that you don't, nobody needs to do that shit anymore, right? Sure. Um, because Beersmith exists and all that kind of stuff. But what it does for me is, is, is it's the transition, right? It's like in a good piece of music, right? The turnaround where it is, okay, now we're all inside our own heads and everything's really fuzzy and we're coming up with an idea and we think it's going to work. And the rubber then begins to meet the road. You're kind of warming up the engine when you do those equations and when you do all that work. So you can say, okay, well, now it's real then, right? Now it's quantified. Um, And now it becomes something different, right? Now it becomes process oriented. Now it becomes, you know, are we doing the right thing by the people who are going to spend money on this beer by making sure that at every step we've covered all the corners are thought around and everything is done, um, which is more tedious and a lot of people don't like it. But um, it's that kind of perspective uh, that brewers had that drew me into the industry uh, in the early 2000s when it was, you know, mostly dudes who were in their 40s, um, who'd been doing it for 10, 20 years on the East Coast or on the West Coast, or maybe you get somebody that's been working at Bell's or whatever. But those were the guys that had done it. And those were the guys that I was used to working with, like these German brewers. They're just dudes, you know, Uh, but they know their jobs really well. And they supported each other. And when a new kid came on, like me at the time, even if I was cocky and, you know, Mr. German Brewmaster and everything, they, you know, they knew that I wasn't all that great. And so they helped me get better, um, really get better. Right. And, yeah, and, yeah. I, and I was able to, to, to accept that help. And, um, and it was a community that was really together and there was a purpose everybody here is working hard man everybody's trying to do the thing we have we should have a responsibility to each other that doesn't mean i'm not going to eat your lunch if i see an opportunity out on the market we are competing um but if you come ask me for help i will absolutely give it i have a moral obligation to do so um Mm. and uh and and all that kind of more traditional behavior that you know I, i see kind of fading away into these guys who, again, kind of come into the market to be a rock star and imagine something about competition that they've seen on a movie or whatever that their dad told them, um, but haven't really been in the trenches fighting for decades. Um, and you feel sorry for them, but you really kind of feel sorry for beer a little bit when you see those kind of people. And it's so refreshing then to talk to somebody like you um, who's supporting public schools. God bless you for doing it. Um, uh, and if there's any other charities, I mean, and, and, and all the other things that you do, but I, we yeah. are really charity-oriented. Oriented. If there's anything else, the, that kind of work that you're doing that you'd like to talk about, I'd love to hear it. That's the biggest one. Yeah. Uh, there, there's another court, There's another local place called Lions and Rabbits, and they're an art collective. There's a, a gal, her name's Hannah Berry, okay. uh, who I think has a million jobs. However, <laughs> she gives artists a place to flex on their skill set and then she finds grant money for them so they get paid. Yeah. And so uh she's gonna do she'll also be present at that party. Killer. Um the goal the goal is that she also gets some money from this. But then she's doing her own thing all summer in that area across the street from City Belt. As far south there's there's a skate park uh yep. that's like a quarter mile down. She's basically activating the park from that skate park to in front of City Belt. Uh, and so, and with shops and things like that. So she's, she's a, an impressive individual with a really neat vision for, uh, I mean, all the murals you see, I'm pretty confident that's her finding a way for, you know, that's how I met my, our, our artists, you know, we won an award for one of our cans, which is a, a voting thing, right? USA Today. However, 
she gave that art. That's how I met them is I saw their art in a building and I was like, oh, so I started to do research and that's how I got to meet them because she gave them a venue to shine. That's you know? fantastic. And that's so, fantastic. Uh, yeah, so we spent a lot of time with her and then we, we used to have a volunteer committee, which during COVID went away. Yeah. It's just hard to get people to gather in general. And so we spent a lot of time just cleaning up our neighborhood and, and you know, and so I think the fact that we activate the park across the street at all is Huge. it ha- has value for the city only because they tell me because uh, they've been trying to do it and can't. Yep. And then, you know, we, we opened up our first show last summer with uh, Desmond Jones and Earth Radio and there was like 1200 people and like this was COVID, like this was COVID times. Yeah. And I'm on stage and everyone's hanging all over each other and it didn't feel like COVID for a second. Oh, you know, and, and and so, and we learned a lot during that process. Like we left a lot of money on the table. That's what I learned. But like, Stead, there's, you a lot of, first time. <laughs> there's a lot of lines. There's a lot of people in line, which is good, but yeah. lines, bathrooms, music, uh, beer and food. You can't run out of those things. You so, cannot run so, out of those things. <laughs> no, but yeah, to, to you, we're I'm lucky that the culture over here is is pretty chill. Like yeah. you mentioned your your conversation about your neighbor, but um, there there was one brewery that went in opposition at the city to another brewery, and that person is no longer in the business. Good. They ended up selling their business because they were they were kind of villainized, villainized, vilified. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, at every turn. They were like, we're the real German brewer. And it was a slide on Cedar Springs. And yeah. Good luck. Exactly. <laughs> so so like that, that it's funny how it was rooted out. Uh, but also like I'm cognizant of what our in local industry is. But like, man, since in 2020, our, we purposefully started to do collabs with what brewers that we thought were perceived as better than us and they we were fortunate that they did it because it it, it they basically reached down and pulled us up sure you know but we did everything we could to separate ourselves from our local industry yes without being a dick right right and so so this year like i'm like okay so we've done everything we could to be city built is not like those other places right now we're like digging in. So now we're like spending way more time. Like, how can we help you do the things that we're doing? Not that we're perfect, but you know, I, I, some of those places are still trying to figure out how to make a hazy beer where it stays in suspension and it doesn't, you know, clear out, you know, so like we're doing it. So we are lending ourselves to help our neighbors be that too, because it's just good for local industry to have, five places that you for sure can refer someone to and they're going to find a really good eclectic group of clean beers yeah you know we we have a couple around us um eagle monk is one that people don't know about and everybody that likes beer that drives near lansing should go to eagle monk you can buy my beer in greece if you want to you know i mean it's great when people come by here but um you know eagle monk is fantastic and there you know you go to eagle monk and there's like an english mild on tap beautiful right i mean wonderful it's in this old converted house with this you know cool pizza oven the couple that owns it the the husband is like a retired postal worker it's just cool you know yeah um it's it's what you want in a neighborhood pub 
And, uh, you know, there are others in our area. And certainly as you travel east, there are there are a lot. Um, but, uh, you know, what 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 I think what I what I miss is brewers sitting around drinking beer, talking about brewing, not about marketing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, man. Yeah. You, you're not, you know, like, I, I, it's cool. You you watch what's going on on social media and, and all that is great and everything. But I just, you know, I want to talk about making beer, right? Like, what, what problem did you go through and how did you solve it, right? So I don't have to go through that or vice versa. Yeah. What, did I, what did I have happen like that? So that we can all make better beer. Um, and that still exists, but I feel like you oh, know, yeah. the people I talk to now about it are the same people I've been talking to for 15 years about it, right? Certainly. Um, so anyway, we'll, we'll see how it all shakes out, man. I mean, I don't think it's a dire thing. I think it's a good thing. And I think the way forward is exactly for what it's worth, what you're doing. Um, not necessarily your pivot to loggers, but just community focus, community support, making a difference where you can make a difference instead of having an opinion about something that you could never make a difference about. Right. Assuming that's meaningful. It is not right. No. Yeah. Make a difference where you can, I think is important. Um, and, uh, and it gives you meaning and, and all kinds of stuff. So kudos to you. Thank you. Um, and, uh, I wish you and your people the absolute best moving forward for what it's worth. Um, and I'm I excited to, to come down and visit whenever, you know, I got time to leave Williamson, which isn't that often, man. And I welcome you William. and your people up here anytime, of course, man, if you get the chance. Thank you. Yeah. Well, and if you're coming, man, let me know. Cause oh, well, of course we'll, we'll take time. Okay, good. Take time. Yeah, thanks Thanks for hanging out, man. It, it was really good to talk to you. It's definitely a better conversation than the three-minute one we had when I met you first. So. <laughs> well, We're you see, both busy. It's good. Yeah, man. You seem – I mean, you, yeah, I'd love to talk to you again. We'll um, we'll, we'll stay in touch. And uh, like I said, man, I know you, it's hard to find a reason to come out to the east side of Lansing very often if you don't have people here. But if you find one, man, come on out and let me know. Will do. Thank you. All right. Appreciate thanks, Edwin. Yeah. We'll talk to you soon. Cheers. To get different perspectives on work, on philosophy toward work, and on the brewing industry specifically. My passion yeah. is to make something that is as perfect as I can make it, no matter what it is. Right. Man, you're super mediocre. Stop being mediocre. You're built to be not mediocre. You kind of understand that medium molecular weight uh, right. proteins right. is the key. Yes, um, exactly. They weren't drinking beer to get out of their family and to get out of their life and get out of their head. It was just part they, of it. It was part of it. Um, and I think that's what, you know, that was a huge inf information uh, to me on, on drinking. And so Your first job as a brewer is to not give anyone a hangover they didn't earn.